Hi, and welcome to the Founders Journey Podcast. I'm uh, Greg Moran with uh, my co-host, Peter Dean. Peter, good to, uh, Thank, good to be back. Thanks for having me again. <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome. I'm like the, I'm the guest that never left. Yeah, I know. You're just the guest that keeps 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 coming back over and over on the uh, on the uh, on the show. Um, and uh, just as a reminder, Founders Journey podcast is uh, is really about bringing coachable tips and uh, coachable uh, and actionable tips to founders by founders. And uh, got a great founder uh, with us today that we're uh, we're super happy to uh, to have with us, uh, Dave Klein. Welcome, uh, welcome to the Founders Journey podcast. Hope to be here, guys. It's gonna yeah, be great. Thanks for coming. Yeah. So, um, so just as a quick background, then I'll kind of let you tell the story. So, Dave, Dave, and I, uh, Dave is a, a really prolific writer on uh, on Twitter. He's my sort of go-to management and leadership guy on uh, on Twitter. And is um, uh, so if you don't follow Dave uh, there, you should. And uh, Dave was a senior executive over at uh, Bridgewater, which is one of the, probably the best-known hedge funds in the world today. And um, and uh, and he's got a few coaching management related uh, related things going here. So um, we're going to dive into that and uh, talk about Dave's transition from the hedge fund world into entrepreneurship. So so uh, looking forward to getting into it. So Dave, just you know, kind of let's start at sort of the most basics, right? You've had a really distinguished career before starting this founder's journey. How did you start it? What led you to kind of saying, hey, you know? hedge funds aren't enough for me. I, I really want to do this, do this other thing on my own and, and grind away for a while. It's a great question. I am, um, you know, you, you said, you use the word distinguished and I would have probably said fortunate, um, <laughs> you know, the, even just tracing back, it's one of those moments where you're kind of like, how did I get here? Right. And if I go back, you know, even to something as both important, but also sort of unimportant is like picking my undergrad you know, mm -hmm. like I was down to Bucknell and Johns Hopkins and ultimately picked because someone sadly got shot on John Hopkins campus while I was visiting. And there was no part of story like literally story. got literally got shot. <laughs> and no part of like, like an awkward thing to laugh at, but it's just right. But bizarre. no part of, yeah. you know, one stoplight town, Dave Klein was going to go do that. So I ended up yeah. at Bucknell. I, you know, from Bucknell, I ended up at a big four consulting firm because an alumni came back and passed out on my couch and then popped me <laughs> into an, an open interview slot the next day, you know, and then I ended up working at an Ivy League institution for a year. But then I left there because they didn't want me to go on vacation with my now wife. So I got a different job instead at Moody's where I went for 10 years. Then the train broke down for three days um, and I finally took a call from a recruiter that happened to be from Bridgewater landed there for 10 years. So like on paper, it seems they distinguished, like they're pretty great institutions. I landed at each time, but at each hop along the way, uh, something seemingly small at the moment uh, happened and intervened, you know, and then kind of to your original question of how did I then go from, you know, Bridgewater to, you know, the business I own and the business we're building, you know, I, it was, a, it was an amazing 10 years. And part of the way Bridgewater treats management and it's a lot of what I end up teaching mm -hmm. is like this craft. It's a, it's a thing that you can go and apply kind of first principles to different areas, solve problems. So we did a lot of rotating, right? So I was mm -hmm. COO of our research department. I was COO of our core management department. I then led that core management department. I did part in talent and recruiting and executive development. And in that rotation, you sort of run out of stops eventually uh, yep. You know, and so the question for me was like, did I want to go be the COO of another department or was it time to finally um, 
you know, actually do the founder's journey and sort of voted, voted for the latter, um, you know, about six months into the pandemic, which was probably of a, a questionable call. But um, <laughs> we started kicking the tire, right? Uh, you know, but we gave ourselves a year. We, yeah, we had, we had saved up enough to say, like, we can, we can make it a year. Let's see if we can find a business to buy. Like, that was probably the biggest insight for me. Mm -hmm. um, and funny, it draws back to Twitter, but I'd always thought I'd have the big idea and I'd go start the unicorn. And I realized I could, I'm not a huge risk seeker. It's not, I'm not like a massive, you know, shoot the moon and sleep yeah, on the yeah. couch guy. Um, and the notion of like, you know, you know, sweaty startup, Nick Huber, you know, talking about buying business or Cody Sanchez, all these mm -hmm. people who are buying these, you know, businesses that people would mostly go by and you started like your eyes would catch the numbers and you're like on a risk adjusted basis, this is kind of interesting. Right. Um, you know, and so it started to kick, we kicked the tires on brick and mortar stuff as well as digital stuff. And um, instead of it taking a year, it took us five months. We, you know, we missed on a few uh, businesses, but we ended up buying a, a education review site uh, from, you know, from a, the, his, the original creator in Australia. And that, that journey kind of turned on in May uh, of last year. So we've been at that just about a year this week. So what, what were the, you know, you, you went out, you bought this thing. Um, what were the biggest lessons you, you learned in buying that first, you know, web property, right? That's, it's kind of a big jumping off point for somebody to, uh, for somebody to make. Uh, you know, I would say, well, let's put lessons on both sides of the ledger, like yeah. pre-buy and post-buy. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, the lesson before we bought it, and it's funny because this has happened to us multiple times in our life, um, either with houses or businesses, et cetera. But one of the first businesses we saw, one of the first websites we saw, it's like you knew you should buy it, but you just couldn't talk, yourself, in, you couldn't yeah. talk yourself into the first one. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I'm not going to marry my first <laughs> Yeah. Right. Um, you're like, yeah. I'm supposed to look at, I'm supposed to do due diligence and look at a bunch of stuff. That's right. hundred percent. hundred percent. So we, and everyone had, told me that same thing, right? <laughs> and it, and it, it had been lingering, you know? And so we were like, oh, we'll, we'll kind of lowball. We'll get a great deal. And within 48 hours, someone like paid asking and like disappeared. And we were yep. like, you know what? That was a good business, even at asking price. Right. Um, <laughs> like yeah. to totally had like the monopoly on the market. And so, uh, that one sailed. And I, so I think that's part of it is, you know, you do need to sort of probably go through that. You probably need to miss a few to be ready for the yeah. one that when it shows up. Yeah. Uh, cause, cause then when the, I remember when skill scatter showed up and it's a, it's a, it's, it's an intersection of like a good business. It was cash flowing. It wasn't a crazy multiple. And it was something like that we both cared about, which was, you know, mm -hmm. online education, and all of the access that gives people around the world. And it was growing. Like we're both big believers that this was only going to keep going, even though you, it, and we didn't think that bump in the pandemic was going to be temporary. We thought that was going to be, you know, permanent. Right. And I remember I saw it, I read two minutes about it and I texted my wife and I'm like, oh, I found the business we're going to buy. Hadn't talked to anyone, <laughs> hadn't kicked the tires, but sort of just knew. Um, yeah. And then it worked out and we, we put together a great deal. So I don't know. I think it's like, give yourself some grace. Like you have to see some and you shouldn't be, yeah. we beat ourselves up for about a week on that one. Like we sort yeah. of, yeah. we missed, but. Well, it's hard. It's hard not to, you know, a hundred percent. It's part of the, yeah. part of the process. Um, so how did that, so take, take us from that point, you buy skill scouter. This is yeah. your first real foray into now you're on your own, right? Now you're officially sort of out <laughs> Out there doing it, whether you like this it. This came with no staff, so I was definitely on my own. <laughs> right. <laughs> so now you're now you're stuck with this thing. Where did it where did it start to lead you? Because I know that that path has really been 
you know, ha- has been an interesting one for you. I think it, you know, led you kind of down this road to Twitter and and sort yeah. of in a lot of different directions. How how did that really evolve for you? Well, I think before we get into the upswing, let's go through the downswing. Yeah, yeah, let's yeah, talk yeah. about that. We talked about <laughs> so, that. You know, so uh, again, my first, our first digital property. Now I had, I ran Moody's.com, which was a $400 million website. So it's not that I'd right. never seen a website before, you know, right. but a B2B website with a global brand supported by, you know, dozens of developers is very different than my WordPress site um, right. that I'm doing out of my home. But so everyone told me, don't touch it. Like it's a billboard. It's, you know what I mean? Just like, don't yep. screw it up. Uh, and so that's what I did. I, I was like, wow, five different people who do this for a living tell me not to screw it up. I'll just like leave it be. And mm-hmm. like watched it slowly tick down, tick down a little slower. And then about six weeks in, it like fell off a cliff. Mm-hmm. Um, and I sort of remember see it, like going down to my wife and being like, you know that part where we're not supposed to touch it? I'm going to go touch it. Um, <laughs> so what, what was falling? The web, the web traffic, the leads? Like what was what was... Uh, web tra- the web traffic was down, was down, the conversions were down. And what, when I actually got into it, I uncovered two things. Um, neither of which were me really being sold a bill of goods. One was, yeah. um, it had been consistently doing this, but Google changed its mind about how much they were going to punish slow mobile performance. And we had a slow yeah, mobile right. site. So that was getting us killed when they changed that. And then the mm-hmm. second was, and this is like, this is just one of those, I don't, wouldn't even known what question to ask in due diligence to watch for this. But apparently, um, this concept of backlinks is how websites get credibility. Absolutely. And so if you go back five or 10 years, what people used to do is game the system and go get these backlink farms. So Google catches on to that. And now they punish sites for doing that. So what do do clever, creative, competitive entrepreneurs do? They hire the link farms to go to their competitors. To sub you, yeah. Sub you. Yes. So all of a sudden, my backlinks were doing this and my traffic yeah. was doing that. And I was like, you got to watch it and disavow all that stuff. But exactly. Yeah. So I learned that lesson. We disavowed all them, cleaned that up. And then, tra- yeah. you know, we also did some additional optimization and brought traffic back. Cool. Um, but I would say the other good news, um, if, there was a, if there was a silver lining in those first couple months, um, there the same idea that exists when people talk about buying like you know, old businesses that are still on like, like yellow pads, you know, right. like, you know, like it's a physical mailing list. Um, yeah. Even digital, like this site was built two years ago. Um, one of the first things I did was reach out to our affiliate partners and just say like, Hey, I'm Dave Klein. I'm now on the site. Just want to introduce myself. And in, in like nine out of 10 cases, they were like, Oh my gosh, I didn't know there was another, there was a human on the other side of this relationship. Right. Um, and I was like, Really? And so it was just interesting that just being human and being a business person, um, and most of them, just by knowing there was a human, they were like, we can give you better terms. Yeah. Right? So I, w- I wasn't even like a hard negotiation. It was just, you know, making that personal connection. And so that would be the, uh, my other lesson is like sort of look for now to look for that in right. the purchases where you're just like, oh, they haven't even built a real relationship, asked for 10% more, asked for $2 more. And most of the people, if you have actually a good asset, will gladly give it because you're still yeah, way yeah. cheaper than all the other methods for acquiring new customers. Yeah, it's really, uh, you know, it's funny. I mean, we were, it's, I've seen this in a lot of MA transactions that I've done, you know, over the years too, where, you know, a lot of times you're buying a business that, you know, the, it's, it's being sold for a reason, right? You've got a founder that's checked out, you've got, you know, things like that. And, 
Yeah, it's just amazing when you just kind of breathe some life into it, right? With a real human being who's actually excited about this business and right. wants to do something. It's, you know, and, and you actually just express that, right? By contacting somebody and said, hey, I'm Dave. I'm I'm, I'm actually a, a human. Right. Sometimes <laughs> and, the bar is you know, pretty low. Yeah. So it lucked out as, you know, as traffic was dropping, you know, fees were moving up. And so they was mostly offsetting. So I sort of was able to tread water on the two months of the learning curve. And then when it bounced back, um, be more profitable. So that was, that was super helpful. Yeah. Um, you, but then Greg, you alluded to, um, so now I'm spooked, right? Now that, now that Google can change its mind <laughs> about mobile performance and my site is 99% Google traffic, I'm spooked. And so I say right. to myself, okay, the playbook is social. Everyone's like, you, know, you gotta have, you could have paid ads, but social, like build the presence is more sustainable, et cetera. Um, yeah. I, you know, it came with accounts. The accounts have like 50, you know, not, nothing particularly big. Maybe Instagram was the biggest, but I have never been on Instagram and I would have no idea how to use yeah. that. The, you know, the one that I had been on was Twitter. And so this is where like two adjacent ideas kind of come together. Um, yeah. One adjacent idea was when we bought the site, we, we were seeing this rise of cohort-based courses. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, so whether that's Maven, OnDeck, Reforge, Disco, there's lots of different providers, but this idea of marrying online learning with live cohorts of peers. Right. And, and so we thought, hey, it, and you see this also in the, um, like the Gumroad space, a lot of the creators will create mm -hmm. these types of things too. And so could we start to write reviews on these? They tend to be higher ticket. They tend to be higher engagement. So people complete them, you know, will that be an extension for the website? So that was a, a hypothesis meeting up at the same time of we should go on social. So like, oh, great. Why don't I go take one or two of these? And so I, we took um, Sawhill Bloom's audience building course. Yep. Uh, and hopped in there. I'm going to build skill scouters, you know, website. And we're like three minutes into the course. And they're like, don't build brand accounts. They're impossible. Build your own. I was like, oh, okay. Great. <laughs> what the heck am I going to talk about? Um, right. Right. So, you know, and so it started with, I've always, I've been passionate about management and coaching and leadership and, you know, thought my 10 years of Bridgewater, there's a, a particular interest in sort of how we did things, raised written books about it. Um, and so sort of just talk about it, talk about, it, it's almost like that, that architecture was sort of my point of view layered on top, you know, combined with then also the lessons from, from Moody's, from Columbia, from PwC, et cetera, and, and started talking. And, I, I didn't have many aspirations. I was hoping to go from like zero to 10,000 uh, over a year. It sort of turned into we're six months in and I'm at 40,000. So mm -hmm. uh, it's pretty crazy. And the other, and there's so many upside surprises, right? Like I wouldn't yeah. have met you, Greg, uh, if I hadn't been on yeah. there. Um, and there's probably two dozen people who uh, that I can say the exact same thing about. So yep. it's been a, that's, that's been a big surprise. How how much of that is now playing into the way that you're thinking about your business moving forward? A lot. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, uh, it, I would say a couple of things. Um, one, in terms of like confirming that hypothesis on the website, I actually, I think it's a good idea, but it might not belong on that website. Right. You know what I mean? The idea that I might be trying to capture two by trying to capture the entire like online learning market, I sort of cater to none. Right. Versus right now, I think the, the site we bought looks a lot at kind of entry-level jobs, helping people get, get those, the, the related courses. And the cohort-based course ones tend to be um, more expensive, more either like tilting very like corporate and professional or tilting very creator economy. 
Um, and so I think the idea is like confirmed, but it might need to be a different website. So yep. that's, that's one piece of it. Yep. Uh, you know, the other one is the, those relationships also then led me closer to Maven and then building my own cohort course. So a, mm-hmm. another part of that investment originally, when I sort of had an idea about it was, yep. well, instead of driving and getting $10 for a subscription or something else, why don't we own our own content and drive people to that and capture the 90, 100, 200, in some cases, thousands of dollars that people pay for courses. Yep. And, um, you know, started to get to know Wes and Goggin at Maven, kind of got into the accelerator. I think I was in the cohort four. That was last December. We, I did one tweet that kind of went accidentally viral about delegating um, that got a couple million views. And all of a sudden I had a wait list that was bigger than the class I could possibly teach. And we did our first cohort in, uh, you know, end of February, early March. And then we're about to kick another one off next week. And so that's becoming a, a, a cornerstone of the business, probably right now overshadowing the billboard side. Um, yeah. And then there's ideas of, you know, I was chatting with Peter earlier, like there's, there's ideas up market and down market. So if I, if you ask me like what my new founder journey uh, challenge or overwhelm is, it's like, how do I pick? Yeah. You know? Yeah, no, absolutely. I think, you know, and that's, that's always the hardest part of this, right? Because you, you sort of, I was just actually talking to somebody else about this just a couple like an hour ago. And, you know, there's, there's this sort of, you know, blessing of too many choices, right? <laughs> Where yeah. I think Everyone's it's like, and congratulations. It's, and you're like, I have no idea what I'm going to do. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. It's, it's this like newfound sort of sense of freedom, right? You, you come yeah. out of a corporate environment and it's, you know, and suddenly you wake up on that first day. And this was like my world, you know, back in October when I wound down as the, you know, CEO of a company that I've been running for 13 years, it's like, you wake up the next morning. It's like, Wow, I can literally do anything I I can do anything I want. I can also do anything I want. Right. And right. you know, it's it's one's good and one's really not that good. And you know, it's it's sort of trying to dissect, you know, trying to kind of maneuver your way because so much of like the founder's journey is just kind of trying to maneuver your way into this into this area. I know you, you yesterday had a, you and I were joking about this on Twitter yesterday. You had a, this, like my new favorite term ever, which is, you know, which is the uh, serendipity acceleration engine. Right. And, yeah, but that's it. It's like, how do you just kind of put yourself in the position? How do you find your way into the position where opportunity finds you? Right. And yeah. then to try yeah. to narrow it down. Yeah. A hundred percent. And that's, you know, I, if I, I wrote about this this morning, I think also, which I'm like, my, well, my great regret is that I started writing six months ago. Like if yeah. I had gone back, I it's not that I haven't been on Twitter for a decade. I've been there just never, right. never, you know, I was a bookmark hoarder. Um, right. <laughs> everyone else's great ideas. I'm going to come back to them later. And I didn't fully appreciate what it would mean to like put my ideas into the, into the world, what that might attract you know, what that might right. teach me because, you know, when I say something stupid, people call me on it and that's fine. Yeah. Um, you know, and sometimes I say something pretty reasonable. I got a, I got a DM yesterday from someone who like read my compensation thread and was like, I went for broke and got like 5% more than uh, even you suggested. I can't believe it worked, yeah. you know? And I'm like, that's pretty cool. Like just somebody in the world yeah. got what they deserve because of something I wrote and, and yeah. gave them, gave them the courage to go ask for it. Um, yeah. You know, so I, I think, part of that serendipity engine is just put them out there. Like each one of these ideas is like a new billboard. Like who's going to drive by. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And yeah. Then, no, it's 
Sorry, yeah. no, go ahead. Go ahead. No, Keep I was going to say now it's like the metabolizing. It's like, okay. So, yeah. so then you swing from that to like now the serendipity is coming and there's these new interesting, like I'd say the dilemma I'm going through right now, which maybe you guys have both gone through. I'd love to get your perspective is opportunities that are about me, but mm. will be, you know, they'll be, you know, whether that's coaching CEOs or teaching more cohorts at companies, et cetera, versus building things that make money without me. Right, either yeah. through leverage of a of a team, which introduces a whole new right, um, you know, set of pressures and payrolls and you mm-hmm. know, people's well being, or through like digital assets. But you know, and and so how do I want to weigh those? And like, is there a clever way to put a flywheel together that connects them? Yeah. Um, but that's the tension right now. Like, I'm I'm loving yeah. being a solopreneur, but I'm about to run up against what I can do. Yeah. Uh, so I have one question that goes back. So. When you left, did you ever think this was what it's going to be like? Like you, you were going to get this much opportunity based on, is this where you thought you were going or is this kind of like, whoa, this is way more than I thought. Uh, way more than I thought I, I, I had, yeah. it's like, I had flavors. Like I sort of knew I yeah. have an asset or a portfolio of assets. You know, yeah. we opted, we opted to go a little bit bigger on the business because my mm-hmm. thought was not to have like a thousand little plates to spin, but to have like one good one. Yeah. Right? And then I thought I would teach, but I thought, you know, I would pick up, we were in the, we're in Connecticut. There happens to be 10 great schools within 60 minutes. Yeah. And so I th- sort of thought like, go, go try out teaching as an adjunct, you know, so go yeah. over to Yale, go back to NYU, Columbia's down this, you know, Fairfield, there's tons of schools right here. Yeah. Um, and so, so I knew p- those pieces would be in play. But then the literal way they they sort of showed up and meshed together, um, I don't think I I'd be lying to say I saw it coming. Yeah, yeah. that's cool because you you kind of let your journey take you to where you need to go, but you enable it too the whole way. You know, I, yeah. I think that's the that to me. You you just said this, uh, David. Peter probably is getting sick of me saying this on podcast, but <laughs> no, you know that important. that that to me today. Um, it's it's so it's so interesting to me to right right with the with the with the with the power of this audience right with the power of a distribution tool like Twitter, really does and and you know I'm in a very similar state right so I wound down you know as the as the CEO a while ago and and you know around uh, around January I'm not I've never literally in my entire life never set a New Year's resolution, but it just happened to be on January first where I said I'm going to start writing every day on Twitter I'm just going right. to do it right, and and I did and I have. And um, the, what that brings is just this, you know, no, number one, it's just this, this power of kind of cataloging your thinking, right? Mm-hmm. And, and catalyzing your thinking. But what it also, I think, brings is this, you start to just think in, because we always, we were talking about this actually this morning with a, you know, good mutual friend of ours, Barrett O'Neill, and we were talking about this exact thing. We, you know, we think in linear terms, right? We think, okay, I'm going to go out and I'm going to start this other business and then it's going to go from zero and it's going to go to a couple thousand dollars and maybe I'll draw a little bit of money and then it's going to go to this. And suddenly it's like, holy crap, right? There's, there's opportunity coming at you from all angles. And, and I think you just, you put it exactly right. How do you start to mesh these things into, um, you know, into one sort of collective, I don't know if you call it portfolio or just kind of, thing that you want to go, you know, that, that you can go do, but to do it at scale. And I think that's, that's really where the power of this, of this model comes in. It's something that I took to our portfolio company CEOs about this all the time. And I, and, and I still, 
I'm still trying to break away, right? Or still trying to break through to say like, look, the power, go build an audience, right? Go, instead of focusing 100% of your attention on email marketing or on Peter, you know, Peter's in this business, you know, so, you know, and demand gen and stuff, but instead of doing all of that, like do do some of this, right? Do some of this audience building because- Long-term the, well, the power, the power that it's going to have on you individually as a founder is- Absolutely profound because that's what at an early stage in a company, that's what people are investing in. They're investing in, and I don't mean necessarily VCs like me, I mean customers too. Yeah. Are investing in the founder. 100 percent Yeah. And I and I think the audience building, I was so I was so anti, you know, because I would have I wouldn't have used the word audience building three years ago, or even yep. I would have used networking. Yeah. And networking oh, was I hate I, that word. Right. Like I sort of, I sort of immediately I'm at like a stuffy convention center swapping business cards, knowing that yeah. I'm only doing because I want something from you or they want something from me. And um, what changed it for me was this idea of like, of building a community and then just, you know, if I, I would say the, the main hack for me, and I, I don't really believe in hacks. So the main tactic has been mm-hmm. just to put as much into people as I can Um and this notion that it just keeps boomeranging back. Like, I don't know when, yeah. I don't know where. It might not even be the same person. Like mm-hmm. someone might see me really leaning into person A and just be like, wow, that was really generous. Let me lean back into you. Yeah. Um, and so I've just seen that play out over and over that, you know, I think if you're consistent, like I, I, your approach, like if you write every day and you're like really great to people and you have something useful to say, like you will have tens of thousands of people who are like willing to sign on to that because believe it or not, it's super rare to do all three pieces, right? To yeah. breathe into them, to have something interesting to say and do it on a regular basis. Yeah. Um, so I've got to go back for a second here to, to the more technical aspects. I think, you know, I mentioned this up front, Dave, Dave is yeah. sort of my go-to management and leadership guy, right? So you, you, you've built these cohorts mm-hmm. and you and I were talking about this before and you're, you know, the surprise that you had looking at the composition of the people, who were okay. coming in? Talk about that a little bit. What What are the biggest challenges you see when people are coming into these cohorts? Like, what What is the What are the management skills? What are the leadership skills that that they seem to just be universally lacking? Why don't yeah, you so start with where you started and then where it ended up? Surprising. Yeah. So, so this I would say the surprise was when we built the first cohort. Um, I marketed it as the new manager accelerator, thinking, yep. you know, a lot of times companies think of management as the destination. Versus an entirely new craft that your your former analyst star, your former programming star now has a whole new craft to learn. So And so they sort of like hand them off. And then in many cases, because the manager overseeing them sort of got hazed into doing it, these guys get hazed too. So it's like, you'll figure it out. I was, I'm smart and I figured it out. So you're smart and you'll figure it out. And they're, they're sort of forgetting the like, half a decade, decade, all the mistakes and all the like right. the, the trail of bodies probably around that approach. Mm-hmm. And um, so my thought was I'm going to target new managers because look, there's five or six kind of core capabilities and you can give them the basic tactics, you know, whether that is how do you break down work and be able to prioritize it for people? How do you set expectations so they can meet them or beat them? How do you delegate work in a way that is, you know, gives them enough space that they feel autonomy, but not so much space you don't know what's going on. How do you go recruit people when you need to, you know, just again, five or six different things. Yep. And I started marketing it. And my so I was expecting kind of zero to two. That's who I was talking to. And two-thirds of the people who ended up enrolling in the course were five years plus in experience. Mm-hmm. And 
with each one, I had a conversation to say, like, I think you're misunderstanding what this is. This is for new managers. <laughs> you know, you probably don't need this. And they would say, no, yeah. no, 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 no. I, I, yeah, I have a team of 60, but I don't know how to delegate. And I was like, right. wait, what? You know, <laughs> like, you know, I've been, I've been losing two people for every one I can hire the last two years. Like my team is decimated. I don't know how to recruit. And I'm like, but you've been managing for seven years. You know, um, I even, you know, I've even like had a conversation with someone who's like had their own company. It's huge. It's like eight figures successful. And they're like, I've never fired anybody. And I'm like, right. that's impossible. Like how, like, how are we here? And they're like, it just right. seems really, it just seems really hard. You know, and, <laughs> it just it well, sucks. It which really it is. sucks. Right. Yeah. <laughs> which it is, but you know, your rest of your staff probably hates that you didn't fire the toxic person we were just talking exactly. about. Exactly. Instead, you just yeah. waited them out. Um, yeah. Incidentally, and, Dave, my my team would pretty much say the exact same thing about, <laughs> about me. Like, I, I don't. I think in I think in 13 years, I probably fired one or two people, and and I can tell you, I cried both times while I was doing it. Like, oh, these are not things you should do. Like, and then I just yeah. made other people fire people. My team knows. I was <laughs> constitutionally there, incapable of doing it. Someone needs to go with him in there because he's going to get so emotional. He won't be able to do it. I, I used to be embarrassed about this. Now I'm like proud of it. I think. I yeah. love it. I love that Greg was like, I'm an all-star in terms of being a self-aware manager and I'm a great delegator. That's why I haven't had to fire anybody since. <laughs> <laughs> Neither, so neither some of it, right? Neither of those things. <laughs> but uh, it was funny. I was walking with a buddy today, and he he's like, you know, I, I've been watching your journey on Twitter, and I have two reactions every time. Like, like, wow, you have like some real insights. And why are you talking about me on Twitter? Um, right. You know, in the same sort of way. And I was like, I'm like, I'm talking about me. Like, 99 percent of those mistakes are ones that I made right. at yeah. some point in the last two decades. And so we, we all, all make them. Relate to it, yeah. Well, it's you know, and it's funny. I, I literally, I was, I had this conversation. I was on, I was recording a podcast with, um, on with I know a mutual friend of ours with John Wilson today on his podcast, and we were talking about this exact thing. I mean, and, and all kidding aside, Dave. I mean, I, I literally, you know, no, nobody ever taught me to manage. And I think Peter would probably be. Well, you had Peter, you had corporate experience, so maybe you got. It. I so did, but I had a mentor there, and. and- well, I won't tell the company's name never taught me. I didn't, I just like, just like here, but right. um, it's, it's funny. Cause we were talking about this today in the office uh, or it was yesterday, but being a manager is like being a parent. It's what you said, what you didn't do, what you did, what you didn't do. It's like, you never feel like <clears throat> you're doing the right thing. And it doesn't feel like anyone really told you how to do, deal with this, you know? Well, and, in, it, in any I think- book I read about, you know, and in so many cases, right, especially in in the startup world with founders, right, where they they will come in and very often, I mean, we've got a, we've got CEOs in our portfolio like this. I mean, th- this is the first job they've ever had. They started, and you know, maybe they had like a job in college as a bartender or something, and then they, you know, then they went out and and they started a business, and that business started taking off, and they started hiring people, and you know, and all of a sudden they're running like a. a you know, a real substantial organization where they're actually have to lead and they have to actually manage to start to really build this company. But, but literally nobody has ever taught them anything. Right. And, and I think, honestly, I think, you know, you, you look at that and then I look at so many of the companies that I dealt with, you know, as clients of mine that were huge retail, restaurant, hospitality, airlines, things like that, that frontline manager, nobody's teaching them to lead. I mean, you're, you know, 
you and I were joking about this one day, Dave, like you, you, the person was like making sandwiches at Subway the day before and the manager quit. And it's like, Hey, congratulations. Have fun. Right. Right. You're, you know, look at this great job you've got, you know, start managing. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, it's not, it's not that esoteric, you know, there's a part of, if, if, if people left, like, I know one of your goals, just give people some real tactics they can go apply. I would say like, Mm -hmm. the first thing is like, be really intentional. Yeah. You know, like, and, and what's so interesting right now, a, a thing I'm starting to zoom in on, cause I'm seeing more of, you know, the people I'm coaching or the people in my cohorts struggle with it is um, remote work. Yeah. And so like every bad habit you had as a manager that you could sort of get away with by like popping by the desk or running into people in the kitchen, like that's gone. Right so now, like whatever, whatever lack of intention you have before is multiplied by 10, you yep. know? And so, and so you do, you sort of need to have, have a basic checklist of like, you know, I, I sort of talk about it as like your primary secondary communities, right? Your primary is going to be your boss, your peers, your customers, your direct reports. Like, how, yeah. like when was the last time you had a meaningful conversation or like a meaningful connection with them? And then the secondary is like all the people in the primary's ears, right? So, you know, if your boss has a executive assistant, you want a good relationship with that executive assistant, right? Mm-hmm. You know, in this, or if your peers have stars, your peer stars are in the ears of your stars, you know? And yep. so you kind of want to know them and occasionally just pop by and touch and, and to do that remotely, it's like, you have to be really intentional, like in, in a way that people will probably say like, but that's not authentic or that's like robotic. And I'm like, no, that's just like the discipline and craft of managing. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, and that's just right. one example. Similar How does with, it? Yeah. No, go ahead. Go ahead. Keep going. Well, I was going to say similar with like delegating. Right. Like mm-hmm. so many times it was funny. My, my wife and I, um, when we were teaching the first cohort, cause she's my course manager, keeping me in line. <laughs> um, and we were, I was, I was, I was walking her through the dry run of the delegation one. And she was like, this seems like a lot. Like, don't you just tell them, like, I want, you know, I'm delegating to you this sales job and I want 20 sales by the end of the year. Let me know how it goes. She's like, that's how it worked everywhere else I worked. And I was like, but no, like you end up paying you pay the same cost on the back end because you didn't talk about the how. Yeah. And she's like, but they don't care about the how. And I'm like, but they do. Right. Like, they pretend they don't care about the how, but like, you know, I can go through a story of someone I worked with who did recruiting and they were like, we just want 25 great people. And he was like, okay. And spent $2 million, went like and recruited <laughs> internationally right. and introduced yeah. a whole bunch of visa issues. You know, like anyways, the entire team quit because he burned them out. And guess what? Like, yeah, he got the 25 hires, but no one was pleased with the outcome. Yeah. Right. And so, and so investing that up front and saying, you know, like, look, I have a picture of how this should go. What's your way that you think it should go? Maybe they're more creative than you are. Maybe, you know, maybe they're better at it. Maybe they know new technology. So, but aligning on that up front, you know, so now I've given you the what and the how. And, and so now it's easy. Any, any sort of deviation from here is just us talking about the deviations and it's like not loaded. It's not like an imagination I have in my head and a different image they have in their head and us trying to reconcile that. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Again, it's not, I'm not saying anything complicated, it's, but it's work. It takes that intention from the manager to force that conversation and take it to resolution. How much so of this? How long do I have to wait to get in the cohort? <laughs> I'll open up one. The next one's Monday. I'll open one more spot for you, Peter. Holy cow. You know, how much so you mentioned remote work, right? And and I yeah. think, you know, the yeah. the the way that work is changing just has a profound effect on this. And you just gave some some real examples of that. Yeah. How what what else should managers be thinking about? I mean, you 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 know, we we've talked a little bit about like this this 
trying to, I mean, physically the need to bring, still bring people together, right. is still yeah. there, isn't it? The, uh, our, our flipping of the inside, the, the onsites from the offsites. That's right. Yep. Absolutely. So, you know, look, I think well, it's a good news, bad news, right? I think the good news is, um, we never would have gotten here without the pandemic, you know, mm-hmm. in the sense like everyone had to turn on their zoom boxes at all at the same time. Yep. And turn the video on. Right. Right. It used to be just right. like, no one had video on. We did Zoom right. for years and it was like, you didn't see faces. Then all of a sudden you have a face-to-face and they're like, I'm face-to-face with my customer every week. And so that put pressure on me to be prepared and ready. Right. And yeah. It just was a different mentality to be face-to-face because you could see cool. the like the look yeah. and you're like, I just got the look. What? Yeah, <laughs> we, we had five buildings. And so we were early adopters of Zoom pre-pandemic, but we'd have this terrible outcome, which was, Three people in boxes on a screen and 27 people around a conference. Um, yeah. Right. You know what I mean? So that's like one of those ones where, like, well, once we all look, no. Right. And, and those three yeah. people aren't in the conversation. Like, who are we kidding? Right. Yeah. Um, you know, and so that idea. So the good news is we sort of all jumped into this new way of being. The bad mm-hmm. news is it just created a whole new set of ideas we have to work through. Right. Yeah. Like right. One of them, some of the people who seem to be doing better are setting, like, not individual boundaries, but like corporate boundaries, right? Mm-hmm. Because, you know, when my office is right next to my kitchen, there's not a lot of like separate, there's no drive home to decompress. There's no like physical barrier. Right. So you can work That's a big all, deal. all the time. And then the notifications are pinging away. And so some orgs are saying like, no, 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 we, we shut off at eight. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like we pick back up at eight the next morning and like, no, like don't send. Like the, the leaders won't send, no one else should send. Like, don't do that. Greg, you were looking at the thing we were talking about some, which is, you know, I think there's going to be this real interesting business opportunity for people catering to what used to be corporate offsites, but now turning them into corporate right. onsites. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like, like what a game changer for businesses to say, I'm going to take all the money I was going to spend on real estate, claw that back after I get out of my leases and then put on like these incredible experiences and events, right. you know, where you bring the team together and I'm sure you would save money still doing it a week or two weeks, a quarter bringing right. them all you know, from around the country to yeah. like really cool places. The accelerant of like trust building and culture building in those two weeks when people are just like, I'm focused this, and I'm here and this is what it is. And it's a really unique experience. This yeah. is the only reason I'm here. Together. I'm not going yeah. home and doing something different. We're together. Well, it's, you know? it's re- I mean, it's, it's, it's real quality time, right? And it's an old cliche, but you know, quality time versus the quantity of time, right? And it and it legitimately is versus just the grind of you know, hey, I'm in the office and this is just where I go every day, and I go eat lunch at my desk. And but I mean, it becomes meaningful and your word intentional um, time spent, right? With um, you know, with I the think, team. I, I think. I think if I'm truthful to kind of what you said, you know when I feel like weak in our, our team activity together as a group, it's because I'm not intentional. And I'm like, I want to lean back to the old way. We're like, Hey, they're right here. I can just say, Hey, hey." to your point, like I, it's absolutely true. Like that's when I'm not being intentional. And then you're like, Oh, and then I'm like, Oh, I have a couple and I'm not planned ahead. So like you're behind the curve and you, you know, you drop into that. But then even, even if we go to the inside, we go to the onsite concept. Right. right? Yeah. Now you, now you have to start to be intentional about the rhythm of your business because you don't want to just right. bring them together and go on vacation and a boondoggle. You're right. like, I want to do the really critical work that has to get done and is better done in person and marry that yeah. with a cool experience. Okay. So now how does the rhythm of your company change to yeah. get that work to show up in that intentional way? 
You know, yeah. what are the new cadences? And so you just, you realize you kind of sort of like re, you're recasting the operating system. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. it's funny. I, um, before my last business, I, I, I've always, my entire career, I've always pretty much always worked remotely uh, one form or another. And my, my previous company before the one I, I just exited, um, I was living in New York and the company was also based in Dallas. So I had two stints working in, in Dallas. And um, I, I, I was like on this six month or the, I'm sorry, the six week right? Where I just felt like if, if I were, there was a noticeable change in me and in my relationships, more importantly, in my patience with people in the company, if I wasn't there, if I wasn't connecting with them about every six weeks and I could kind of hack my way into it, but usually around, you know, week four, week five, the patients, you know, you start to, you, you start to think, bad intentions. You start to think, well, why is this, you know, why is this person doing what they're doing? And you, you, that human relationship does start to fray, right. When you're, when you're really reliant on that, on that relationship. And it was usually for me, it was always around that six month or that six week mark. And I, I don't know what the magic of that was, but it just never seemed that was you, things right? would explode if I was tested. <laughs> yeah. Maybe, but I'm I mean, I'm I don't know. Right? <laughs> I don't know if there's some behavioral element to that or something. Right. But it's just that the relationship the foundation of the relationship would really start to fray at that point. And, and, but it was amazing. You go down there, you have a beer with somebody and suddenly you're, you know, you're back to best friends again. Well, we had, there was a, um, there was a principle we had at Bridgewater, which is this idea of like, kind of like varying your distance by your confidence. Yeah. You know what I mean? And then, but there was a certain point to your, to your, what you're calling out of like, the longer you'd go without those connections and and kind of that human interaction. And again, I think yeah. the video helps. So I can like see your face and you can, yeah. See, yeah. My, you can see my emotion and my intent. Um, yeah. It's very different than a call. So I think you can yeah. buy it a little longer now, but that idea of, um, you know, in, we would talk about in moments of crisis, you wanted to like over communicate and that, and like, yeah. and, and without the communication, then people's imagination fills, fills the spot. To your yeah, point, right. Greg, of like it's dangerous. Yeah. Oh, i you know, he's not yeah. talking to me because, you know, yep. fill in whatever blank, or she's not responding because. And like mm-hmm. really you just had to ask why. And many times it was like, oh, my mother is sick, or like I right. you sent you left a letter out of my email address, or you know, like silly stuff. Right. But yeah. You know, and then it's the same way back the other way. And right. Yeah. Yeah. So we're getting like a cohort right here. This is awesome. <laughs> I knew it. Dave, this Good was a setup all along. We couldn't do it. It was sold out. So we figured we'd have you on. We'd yeah. do a This is more like then, an intervention. Can you come on next week too? <laughs> we'll have another topic. This is great. No, this is amazing. <laughs> this has been like killer. Like so, so I got it. So what one last question? Go back to the Bridgewater yeah. days. And then we've got to we're we're up against it. We gotta definitely wrap it up. I mean, Bridgewater, that that experience to me, I don't it's one of those legendary firms, right? It's just one yeah. of those places that you just feel like, at least to me, maybe you that he's serendipity found. Like I think he's, you know, giving right. himself a little what you know, what are the what are the credit, but what are the lessons honest, that he's you, humble? Uh, <laughs> what are the lessons that you really took out of there that you, you know, are do those management lessons that you took out of Bridgewater. I mean, Ray Dalio is a, you know, is a hugely popular writer now and, you know, in the, his principles book and, you know, does, does it translate in a way, do you think to the early stage founder? If so, where do you, where do you see that? Where do you see that really connecting? It, it does. I would say, um, I don't know if the exact percentage is from, from my, and again, put me up against Ray. You can uh, humbly, here's my assessment. Um, (laughs) you know, I, I, 
75% of it, I think is universally applied. You know, like yeah. I've gotten a lot of questions about the cohort and they're like, well, does this work for my type of business? And I'm like, it is, it really does. And I'm like shocked now seeing it, you know, looking back at a big, a big four firm, looking at a, an, an Ivy league institution, looking at a fortune yeah. 500 company and now at my own solopreneurship. And I'm like, yeah. So like things like a principle of the must do's must be handled excellently. Yeah, I learned that again the hard way when I like let my website drive off the cliff because my must do's yeah. weren't handled excellently. Um, right. You know, another one is like the who is more important than the what. Like founding teams, like so, like they're make or break. Like if you pick the right partners, right. you have a great shot, even if you have the wrong idea. If you have the great yeah. idea and the wrong founding team, you're not going anywhere. Um, sure. You know, and then the one I was thinking about one before we talked of like this, the, we would talk about. And Ray would write about it as like being on the far side of fair. Like if you extend me more than like where the line is and I extend you more than where the line is, then we're both on the far side of fair and everyone wins. And yeah. I was like, oh, like he, he was describing positive sum dynamics. Like, he, you know, kind of starting back to the Twitter thing we were talking about. It's like, well, if I just extend everyone a lot of support and grace and, and, and push, and that ends up coming back to me in certain ways, like everybody's going to win. Yeah. Um, and so I was like, oh, like even, even seeing that, you know, the, um, you know, that if there was parts that don't resonate for me for founders as much, it's, um, you know, a lot of the principles will be around like risk yeah, and, and like how to, again, I think they were written from a place of, like you said, you built one of the most venerable hedge funds and largest asset managers in history. Right. So a lot of it is about like protection, you know what I mean? It right. is like protecting you from evildoers and protecting the systems and, and, building a, a mode of risk. Um, I don't think it is as there's probably aspects of startup, like you will not find the word serendipity in that book. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know I mean? Gotcha. Yeah. Yep. So if I, so I think that's the 25%, which is like, yeah, um, we're, we're like breaking bounds, building new things and things are going to break and well, there is going to be more risk. It's managing risk versus yeah. all risk. Right. I mean, that's the, yeah. it's Yeah. Yeah. It's the other end of the spectrum. Yeah, you know, but I but again, I think you could take 70 if you read that book and it's a long one, you know, like yeah, anything yeah. you're reading that that long, you're getting 75%. That's a pretty good hit rate. So when does the Dave Klein book come out? Because that's coming out. I mean, oh. I don't think it's literally coming out, but now it's not literally out. coming out. But um, <laughs> I, I've definitely gotten a few DMs from people saying you should write a book and you should let me publish it. And I was like, you know, on the on the grand roadmap right now, I don't think the I'm going to keep writing my book on Twitter, I think. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's a, uh, that's, that's right. That's a great place to end it, Dave. This was, uh, this was super fun. If you want to read Dave's book on Twitter, uh, written 280 characters at a time. And, um, you know, Dave, how, what's the best way for people to find you? How do they connect with you? Um, you know, follow, talk, you know, follow you on Twitter. What's the, what's the best way to, uh, to get connected? Yeah. I mean, I'd say Twitter is probably the first and foremost where I'm most active. So, uh, decline, I, I, uh, and you know, you can visit, I'm also on LinkedIn as well. We're increasingly, you know, starting to have more conversations over there. So, uh, those would be the two primary spots and, you know, the management accelerator cohort, you know, court two is coming up on Monday. Uh, eventually the MGMT accelerator.com site will, uh, catch up to the courses and, uh, you'll be able to find me there too. It's awesome. Cool. That's awesome. Dave, this was, uh, this was so much fun having you on. I really, uh, really appreciate it. I mean, just a, a wealth of of, I think, knowledge for any founder that's, uh, that's getting started and you want to learn the principles of, uh, of management and leadership at any stage of your career. I think Dave is, Dave is absolutely the guy that 
you want to uh, you want to get connected with quickly. So thanks so much for uh, for sharing that with us, Dave. Awesome to have you. See you uh, next edition of the Founders Journey podcast. Thank you, guys.